755 is real with David O'Brien and Eric O'Flaherty. It is on the air now. Welcome to 755 is real presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. I'm with my co-host, Eric O'Flaherty, former Braves reliever. And Eric, I know you were excited about last night, right? Watching at home and watching the post-game interviews. Oh, man. This one got me. I got it right here. This this laugh from Wash. Don't tell anybody else, but you're the best interview on this team. Well, thank you so much. Yes, Wash is the man. Man, you can't you can't be around. Every time you walk by Wash in the hallway, your day just gets better. Uh, A national treasure, dude. Oh man, that I don't think we talk about the coaching staff enough. Um, I don't think we talk about the the uh, Wash as a presidential candidate enough. I I I back him on anything. Now that it's clear for anybody with skeletons in their closet to be elected president, why not Wash, man? Can you imagine? Let's rally around Wash. <laughs> and he's right at the age, too. Now he's I'll much younger him. than Biden. And I, he's, <laughs> I'd follow Wash anywhere. <laughs> Wash or South Fasano for president? Yeah, all those guys, man. I was watching all the coaches' interviews after the game when, you know, when Snit said it's been a long year or he said it's yeah. been a hard year. You could tell, you know, you could tell how hard it was to hold it together yeah. and, and keep staying positive. And, you know, you don't have to have been there and done it before because Snit, Snit didn't play. You know, he didn't play in the big yeah. leagues and, and, and do it all. There's a ton of value in that. But the number one thing Snit does is he never forgets how hard the game is. Yeah. And then the rest of the coaching staff, most of them played in the big leagues. So they all know. So these guys, even the young guys, they all get to go through this grind with guys that respect what they're doing and know how hard it is and never lose sight of that. You can't put a value on that. I think Snit put himself and Alex put him put him in the perfect position to succeed as manager because of the va- the, the the qualities that you just said and the fact that he's surround he doesn't have an ego, nope. so he's willing to surround himself with all these former players, all these coaches who we have either been managers or could be managers. And he's not worried about them taking his job because not if he all. was insecure, he would be worried about Walt Weiss, Ron Washington uh, taking his job or Safasano, you know, becoming a manager. I mean, and Snit doesn't worry about that. And he delegates to those guys knowing that they've been to the big leagues and they can get through to players and command that respect. I would put the coaching staff up against any of the big Anybody. leagues. I really have said that for ye- for the last few years. I think they have the best coaching staff in the big leagues. They're five, you know, just – it's just it's you know as a coach, if you're hard on players and you didn't do it, you're out. You, yeah. Like you, if you're if you're talking about the big leagues, like you know, just make this adjustment like it's easy. Guys that haven't been there and and been off and tried to make those adjustments and don't understand how hard the league is. Yeah, players players that are getting shit from a coach that hasn't done it, you're out. You know, they, it's really hard to get through to players. But when you've done it, it you could just say it with a different kind of authority. And get that message across in a different way, having been there and done it and and knowing what it takes. And they got a bunch of those guys. Well, Snip Snip was asked about how difficult the season's been because he said this is a bigger title than any of them because of what they've gone through. Alex yeah. said the same thing because he's Alex said, I never want to do this again, but it's so gratifying at the end because he had he's never he said, I never want to have to work so much during the season to make it happen, to help make it happen, but that is so much more gratifying because they got here. But Snit was asked about how much he had to work and how much his coaches had to work bringing in all these newcomers. They literally had three different outfields or outfielders outfields over the course of the year because they had the group they started with. Then they had the group that was the journeyman for a while plugging in, you know, when there was mixing matches. And then they had the group when they traded for four new guys and they, in the whole time you got, you got, you got EY working with those guys, the outfield instructor, you've got, uh, Wash doing his thing with the infielders. You've got all the coaches who are who are all love to teach, and never has that been more important than this year. Teaching all the stuff that the Braves use, the systems they use, the analytics they use, where they position guys. It's been like this has been. It's never been more important than to have a good coaching staff that that can teach than it yeah. has been this year. And I didn't even mention Fasano. They used eight catchers. Yeah, I mean Sal's got some really technical stuff that they do including the one knee drills that you know the one knee uh, uh style that a lot of people haven't even used before they got here and they they got by with 
plugging in catchers all season, all young guys, 38 year old guys, everything. And until they got Darno back. And so, I mean, just up and down, they've, uh, they've really earned their money this year. And not to mention Smith. I mean, he said he wore out a mattress as you're tossing and turning. I mean, he said, yeah, they handled it. The players handled it better than I did. Yeah. You, know? you oh. could see in some of the post-game interviews this year, Snit was really close to losing it for the first time that I've seen. I mean, he yeah. was frustrated. You could tell he couldn't find answers, you know? I mean, it was just. Every single thinking. one of them had that sentiment, though. It's just like it was a hard, like they earned this one. You know, all the challenges they faced and. I mean, I just I felt that tone from everybody, and that's what's so special yeah. about it. Is you don't just get to make a decision to be smoking a cigar on the field the way those guys were. You got to yeah. put the work in day in, day out from day one of spring training to get to the point where they're at. It's it's a special feeling, you know. I wish everybody could feel that because there's spraying that champagne and and just getting to let your guard down for one night. You know, you got to yeah. work tomorrow, but you you did it. You get to let your guard down for a night and just soak in you know, an accomplishment on a major league field is just special. And that's why I wrote that's they did like a team that's won three, the previous three or a team that got within one win of the world series and try to play it down. Go, this is just the first step and be subdued and everything. They didn't do that because they knew how hard this was to get here and how much they had to yeah. have go their way, including the rest of the division had to play, had to struggle as well. Because if any of those teams had played up to capabilities, if the Mets had lived up to their capabilities, the Phillies, Braves wouldn't have been, they would have been 10 games back, 12 games back. And instead they were always three or four back and they were will, they were able to make all these changes and stay in the race, knowing that eventually they should get on a run, which they did when they went 16 to two, made the most of their opportunity to get some bad teams, seize control of the division race and have been tied for first couple of games since then. But for the most part, they've had been in first alone ever since. So, um, kudos to them because, uh, like like Freddie said, if you'd have told him a couple of months ago when 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 Ronnie Acuna went down, I mean, like Freddie said, he in his mind the best player in the game. When he, when they lost the best player, I think in the National League, when they lost the best player in the National League, uh, I thought they didn't. I thought it was done. You know, they had had other injuries. Well, they had lost Darno. Soroka was real yeah. iffy. We didn't know when he was going to be back, and then he then he retears the thing, and then he's out for good. But it kept getting by. They lost to Zuna. But when they lost to Cunha, I thought this is over, man. And it, and if you're you're off the hook too, if yeah. you lose Acuna. and that's what Freddie said. You know, they could I mean, have just said, you know, you, this well, happened, this year. happened, and it's so yeah. easy. It's so easy to give that interview at the end yep. of the season. Uh, you know, just all the buzz, a tough year. You know, we lost a lot of guys. I still believe in this team. We're going to come to spring training ready to go. You know, throw all that shit out there, and but you know, you're off the hook when you lose a guy like that. And it, it takes strength to just say, we got to find a way anyway and, and keep being positive because they all know how, how much that hurt when they lost yeah. that guy. They know they know how much harder it's going to be and to keep fighting and keep finding a way to keep winning and keep the team together, keep the unit positive. I mean, that's that's for me why Snick gets so many kudos. I saw uh, Kranitz interview after the game was talking you know, late game, late innings, you know, things like that. He was shaking in his seat, you know, just pacing around the dugout, not sure what to do. And he looked at Snit and Snit was sitting there calm, you know, not panicking. It was like he, he'd been through this stress a million times and knew how to handle it. And they all looked to him. All the coaches looked yeah. at him and he kept it together. And, and, and that's why I say, you know, there's, you just can't put a value on somebody holding it together and staying positive because it'd be easy for Snit and you know he wanted to, some of those interviews you're talking yeah. about. You're asking him questions why he did yeah. this or why they did that or what's wrong with this guy. And he's right here, you know, this close yeah. to losing his shit, keeps it together, says the right stuff, comes to the field the next day. Maybe he's yeah. miserable. But for, for the better, you know, for the group, he shows up and, and puts on a front and puts on that smiley face and tells him we're going to win today. Even if you don't yeah. believe it, like this is so it's so important to, to put that message out there and and be a positive vibe for your team and it's not easy he he does a great job of concealing how he's feeling with him <laughs> because like when cranny said when he looks over and he's calm inside snitch guts are churning he's not calm yep. inside right but you never can tell outside he's got that stoic look and mm -hmm. the same thing is he never snaps in interviews he never loses it came really close the other yeah, day when did. i asked him about will smith again yeah, he did. came really close he said God twice, and then he kind of uh, that was the end of the interview, you know. But he did not snap, yeah. and a lot of managers would would just lose it and get start throwing shit. And uh, I think that's been really key to him to him staying 
you know, in this job this long and, uh, and, and, and having so much success over the course of 162 games. Yep. Because the players do feed off that vibe, and they never felt that was hopeless. You know, he never came in and lost it and threw over – turned the tables over and everything and got angry at him for struggling. So, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a hell of a uh, way to finish. I mean, you sweep the Padres in San Diego, eliminate them from contention because they were, they were still hopeful when the Braves yeah. came. They still were not eliminated. And then the Phillies come to town playing their best ball, Go home. hoping that hoping to take at least two out of three from the Braves and hopefully sweep them. If they'd have swept them, they'd have left here a half game behind, and the whole this thing's up for grabs. Yeah, and the Braves will be playing Monday today, <laughs> and the Braves have been playing the Rockies on yep. Monday, and it could have been coming down to that. But instead, the Braves kept going after a really rough trip, a hard trip. They came home ten game trip, eleven games really, with the with the conclusion of that. Uh, Suspended game, came home, had one day off after back, flying back from the West Coast, took on the Phillies and swept them after sweeping and eliminated the Phillies from contention. So they finishing strong. They're where they want to be. And especially considering they got a couple of guys that really aren't hitting much right now that you figure are going to get going again before the postseason starts. So it's not like they're just uh, hitting on all cylinders, but they're playing good ball. And most importantly, Freed and Charlie mm-hmm. are pitching at the peak of their powers right now. Those two guys have been doing it for a couple of three months. And now you got Ian Anderson, who's had back-to-back good starts. Yep. And that kind of changes everything going into the postseason, I think. When you can look at a third guy that's good. Ian looks pretty close to, to his peak form again, I think. He's getting there. Yeah, he's, he's really not solid a, last night for six. Yeah, well, and that'll play. You know, he's not getting the strikeouts he got last year. But I think it's his stuff is still funky enough, and his arm angle yeah. is still funky enough, and he's competitive enough. He's finding a way to miss barrels consistently. And you know, I mean, everybody loves when a starting pitcher goes out and strikes out ten. But yeah, you go six, seven scoreless, or one or two runs, you don't care how many strikeouts you got. You know, you you did the job for the team. And I think, you know, Ch- Charlie and Freed start took a lot of pressure off him. Going out and doing it like that and just stepping yeah. on the Phillies' throats and putting them in a position where if they lose a game, it's over. Um, just a great series and and a message, too, that they're just the better team. Yeah. And Freed, Freed's lowering, the, reducing the strikeouts has allowed him to get deeper in games. Deeper in the game. I mean, yeah. yeah he's, and, and same thing with Ian. You know, when he piles up the strikeouts is when he gets to 95 pitches in five innings, you know. Yep. He's getting deeper, pitching to contact. So. I mean, if you can keep it down in the zone, but you can do that. Yep. You know, guys aren't going to hit bombs off you. But I thought, uh, yeah, Freddie said every hitter that came to first base is still saying to him, you know, on Ian again now that uh, you know that changeup, I can't see it. And that curveball, I can't see it. And yep. that and that that uh, heater is up in the zone. I can't catch up to it. So that's a good sign when they're saying that stuff again to Freddie at first base. That's that deception. You know, I mean, you, you see guys having good seasons throwing 93, 94, and there's guys getting torched throwing 99. You know, his his funkiness isn't going to slump. If he doesn't have his stuff that day, he's still funky. He's still hiding the ball. Yeah. It's still different. You know, that that's why I always feel good about him when he starts. And I think that's why, you know, when he has an okay start, he doesn't get torched. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's maybe five innings, three runs, you know, a couple walks, lots of pitches, but he can get through it because of his deception. And, you know, for me, that's where scouting is really important and, and not just looking at the gun and spin rates and stuff, but you watch how the guy's presenting the ball. And for him, it's, it's always, it's always different and it's always tough to hit. I think with them, with, with Ian stepping up and with, e, with Max, Max had the lowest ERA in the majors in the second half because oh, Scherzer he, got blown up the other night. Scherzer was right there with him. Max is ahead of him now, clearly. One seven four in the second half, dude. And since the start of August, he's been unbelievable. He's yeah. like seven and zero with like a one four something ERA in eleven starts since the start of August. I mean, this guy's going right now, and he's going seven, eight, nine innings. And he loves so, the bright lights. He loves the big starts. And that's huge when you've only got like three, maybe four bullpen guys you can really trust in high leverage. That's enough when you got two of your starters going seven, eight, nine innings. And in a postseason series, you're going two games with a day off. It makes it's not it like a regular so much, season series. No, it is so much easier to manage your pen like that when when you mm-hmm. can when you can just you know, if you get into the seventh inning and and you got a matchup that works, you gotta throw a guy that you're unsure of. You know, maybe he's been a little sloppy lately, but you can throw him and give him a good situation, boost his confidence, you know, let him face a lefty that's that's not going to hit him. 
He yeah. gets to come in and have a good outing and feel good about it and get out of the game and, and feel good the next time you bring him in in a situation that maybe you're not as comfortable with, you've built his confidence. That's all about your starters going deep. If your starters can go in the seventh, they're going to present a layup for your bullpen. If your starters yeah. are going five innings, four innings, you got to just start, you know, hoping for the best and, and plugging guys in in spots that aren't the best matchups. But it gives Snit way more freedom to to give guys, you know, put guys in a position to succeed when the starters go deep. And Milwaukee lost Trevor Williams to the, to the same thing that the Braves lost, uh, you, you know, earlier this year. You know, punching a wall. Oh, Devin, and, Devin Williams. The change oh, Devin up. Williams, I'm yeah. sorry. Devin Williams, the rookie of the year a year ago with an yeah. incredible season. And he was pretty close to that this year. He was pretty damn good this year. I think losing Devin Williams is as big or bigger than the Braves if they lost Luke Jackson or Tyler Matzik. I mean, he's their number two behind Hader. I mean, those two are the bullpen for those guys. Yeah. Hater's going to have to go more innings, yep. or they're going to have to thrust somebody into that role that's just not nearly Devin Williams. The thing that so, sucks is Hater can go too. You know, if Hater yeah. was strictly a one inning guy, right, it hurt even more. But still, you can't bring Williams in in the seventh and, and bridge to the ninth. You you know, yeah. it, it, it moves everybody up a spot. If your starter doesn't go deep, you got to bring somebody you're unsure of in the fifth, sixth inning instead of just riding with your two horses and stretching them out. So I mean, that's, that series, that's a huge loss. And that series of a couple of months ago, the Braves had success against their two all-star starters, too. Yeah, they I mean, they, they're not going to be intimidated by those guys. They know they can hit them. They know they can get some runs against them. Um, Milwaukee's got home field, right? Yeah. It starts Friday in Milwaukee. Friday, Saturday there. Then they come back. Off day Sunday. And then you play here Monday, Tuesday. So, um, I, yeah, I think the Braves got, they got to be feeling good about where they're at. I mean, to get through this grind and be playing their best ball now and, and having gone out and swept, you know, those, the win at San, was huge at San Francisco on Sunday. Yeah. Last Sunday. That was huge. And then you go to Arizona two Sundays ago and then you go to Arizona and win three out of four there. You blew the one game, but you won three out of four. And then you go to San Diego and after, after you know, Will blew the uh, the t- it was a tie game in the the uh, game top, that, top that they finished seven, bottom something ninth like that. Yeah. in the game that that was tied in the game that they had tied up that was yeah. uh, the conclusion of the suspended game. But then you bounce, you recover from that, and you win the game right after that that night, and you sweep them. That was huge, and and the, and how they won Saturday and Sunday when Machado hits the grand slam, they get up seven three on Saturday. Free pitches ass off on Friday. And then they come back from three deficits to win Saturday in 10 innings. And then Sunday, when you win that game where Will Smith loads the bases and strike. I mean, these were big, emotional, dramatic wins to give them, propel them into this week against the Phillies. So you come home, they had a day just to catch, get their bearings, get their legs back under them after being on the West Coast time zone for for 11 days. And then you bury the Phillies' hopes. So. They got to feel great about where they're going. I mean, I'm sure they'll roll out a, you know, some subs tonight. Some guys are hung over, and then I think they'll get right back to it tomorrow and, yep. and finish strong Saturday, Sunday, before yep. they uh, shut her down. But now they don't have to play that game against that Monday or even think about it. They don't have to, you know, they can they can catch their breath. They got five days to get ready for the Brewers, and they got to like their chances, man. I, they're going in healthy, you mm. know. And and when we said that, somebody mentioned that on Twitter, and I and I agreed with them, and everybody jumps on my throat. I'm like, yeah, well, except they have not having Acuna and Soroka. Well, you never had Soroka this year, so that doesn't count. I mean, they never had Soroka and Acuna. Yeah, that's huge. You lost the best player in the league, but they did that more than two months ago. This yeah. is the t- I'm talking about the guys on the team right now being hurt. Yeah, it'd be like if Freddie was hurt. You know, he got hit in the elbow last night. You were worried, but. Think he's okay. Freddie said, "Yeah, just stung. It was. It, it wasn't a funny bone. He said he got hit. It was, you know, a heater for a minute there. They were worried, but yeah. uh, the other guys, you know, in, in in every year it seems like somebody's been hurt. You know, you missed Dansby one year. He had the 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 uh, wrist. He couldn't play. Acuna played with a hamstring one year in the postseason. Riley had the knee his rookie year. What left off the postseason roster? Inciarte missed the postseason with the back. You've had somebody every year." This year, with the group that you're taking in there is all healthy. So. Yeah, yeah, that's big. And the, you know, I think it's also good too that they're they're playing these games right now. You know, like we talked about last time, is right. if they clinched a week ago, this is such a good prep for the postseason. Playing that series in San Diego, coming home and having a chance to close out the Phillies. Yeah, it, it's just it's good to roll in playing big games versus having all that time off. Eric, let's hear from today's sponsors. 
Do you like Formula One but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? Then we have the podcast for you. Introducing the Race F1 Briefing, the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search The Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. You could have argued that even if the Phillies had won last night, you'd have been able to clinch on Friday night in front of a huge crowd, but um, they're so glad they did it against a Phillies team that was still in contention. You know, the Mets are just limping to the finish line. And the crowd ends up being last night after being kind of down in the game before. Last night, Thursday night, they had 39,000 there. And it was loud. I I told you this off camera, and we'll we'll mention it now. I have a new perspective because – the last time that I was on the field at a major event while it was still going on in front of a packed house was covering the NFL like 25 years ago. They take us down on the field for the last two minutes of the game back then. Now they keep them in the tunnel, the riders, but they took us on the field. We could stand like right behind the team, anywhere you felt safe. So you, I'm, it's like, for instance, when Shula became the all-time NFL winningest coach, I was like 10 yards behind him. You know, Ooh, the offense cool. put him on their shoulders and all that yeah. in Philadelphia. And, uh, so, so that, but the NFL is a little different because the crowds, the stadiums are huge, but the crowds are kind of set back. And in the last two minutes, if the game's not coming right down to it, the crowds are thinning out and everything. Last night, for the first time, we go down on the field because during the pandemic, we haven't been in a clubhouses. We've been doing Zooms up in the press boxes. So we haven't been in the clubhouses. And when you go to the clubhouse, you don't go on the field to get the clubhouse. You go to the tunnel. So we never go on the field. Last night, we did the post-game interviews on the field. So we go down on the field immediately when the game's over. Well, nobody's left yet. Yeah. And because the team came out to celebrate, the place is going crazy. They're roaring. They're chanting. They're yelling, Freddie, Freddie, and doing the MVP and all this. And, the, and So we go on the field to walk across over to the Braves dugout. 39,000 people are roaring, and I'm going, holy shit. It is so loud here. And the way baseball stadiums are built now, stacked up, it's so much louder than, say, football stadiums that go kind of go out. Yep. I was like, I told a couple of guys, I go, just imagine being a pitcher yep. or a hitter, and you're in a ninth inning. And this place, they were doing the tomahawk chop last night when uh, Will Smith started the ninth inning. They're doing, oh, and he's pitching. Uh, can you even imagine how yeah. how loud it is and you trying to throw a strike, a hit a pinpoint location, or you're trying to hit? I, 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 you have so much more respect for what you guys do when you're down there in that den, how loud it is. And I would just love to take one of the people down there who argue yeah. that <laughs> there's nothing to clutch, uh, clutch hitting yeah. or clutch performances or Michael Jordan hitting the shot with the time expiring. And because those people are so full of shit, if they think that it's the same pitching in that environment as it is pitching in an empty stadium or with the game not on the line, and that's just crazy because it is deafening down there, man. That's the whole separator. You know, I mean, that's why for me, I don't get too excited about AAA numbers. I always want to yeah. know what they do. You know, it's great. He's hitting 342 in AAA. Cool. Right. Let's see how he does under the bright lights. And that's what changes. You know, can you be the same guy? With all that going on, can you can you can you black it out, focus, and still be the same? It would happen to me. I'd be jogging onto the field, and it I I start looking around like, what am I doing? Out? You know what what? Yeah. Uh, how, it I would have to check out. I'd have to get out of that space mentally in a hurry because yeah. I'd start. You know, I'd, my heart would start racing. You know, you look at the scoreboard, see your face on the jumbotron. You're jogging out. There's fifty thousand people screaming. And you have to find a way to to be the same, remain calm. And when you get nervous and jittery or tight, I mean, you just move different. And guys yeah. that can't control that, they come up and they fail every time. And that's, you know, that's why I said you when you watch a game on TV and you see that guy with the deer in the headlights look. Yeah. It's over. You know, yeah. unless unless the offense lets them off the hook, it's it's over. And you could see it in guys when they're feeling that pressure. That's that's why I'm with you. Like you you don't think clutch stats matter. You're crazy because yeah, it's insane. 
everything amplifies and it's so hard to control your emotions, channel all that energy. You know, once you've been in the big leagues for three, four years, you it's almost, it's the same game. You know, it's, it's easy to just focus on what you're doing, but even, you know, the first game of spring training, you can have gone done, you know, season after season after season, the first game of spring training, when you get out there and there's 10,000 people yelling, right. it's like, you know, it, it takes a second to lock in and, and, and channel right. that energy and focus. And, you know, for me, that's, that's the, that is the main separators. Can you keep it loose and be yourself on that stage? And, and that's why I think baseball, too, is so different than football. There's no equivalent to that no. in football. Football, you're on the field. You're one of 11 guys. You're in a uniform. You got a helmet on. You are pl- The plays are fast, and it's like you don't have that pause between pitches. You don't, you're not as conscious of the crowd. You've played in front of big crowds in college and all that anyway. You know, yeah. some bigger crowds than you have in the NFL. Most of these guys yeah. that played at big schools. And the, it's not the equivalent. Even for a quarterback. You're still so focused on everything that's going on in the line, and you got ten teammates, and you got plays going through your head. And you're not, I don't think you're as conscious of, and you got guy in your ear telling you what to look, what the play is. You're not as conscious. I, you can't be as you are as a pitcher standing on the rubber, mm-hmm. and forty thousand people are going, oh, 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 or or they're just cheering, or they're, or you're on the enemy territory and they're booing. Or you're a hitter, you know, and you're trying. It's just well, no equivalent. You're getting crowd feedback on something you just did. You right. Know, it's if you throw a ball, it's an immediate fifty thousand people reacting the same way to it, and it's immediate fa- uh, feedback. So you throw ball one in Philly, fifty thousand there, they go ape shit, you know, and and so that just reinforces, damn, I just threw a ball, you know, and then you then yep. you throw strike one, they kind of get quiet, but. Every you get each pitch, you get this loud yeah. feedback of what you just did. You know, you pick over to first and 50,000 people boo. You know, I mean, it's 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 just you alone out there. And each thing you do gets a reaction. You know, you, you really feel like all eyes are on you. But the good ones find a way to, to enjoy that pressure. And the only thing I can uh, equate it to in, ba- would, in, in major sports would be basketball at a free throw line. In a, in, it's like in a playoff yeah, game, especially when the NBA arena, when it's so loud, because that's the only places that get louder than like a baseball stadium, or outdoor stadiums, you know, is in like, like you're playing at Allen Fieldhouse where it's 150 decibels, you know, and you're, I mean, that would be deafening, but can again, you move unless the same? you're, <laughs> you know, can, huh? you move the, can you move the same under that pressure? Right. You know, and, that's but the unless, whole test. But unless you're at a free throw line where everything stopped and they get quiet and then they roar and everything. I even there, I don't think it's the same as like a pitcher. Every pitch, there, everybody's on the, you know. I mean, I think that's that's the separator. Yeah, guys that can hit free throws with all that pressure. I think that's similar. But other than that, I don't think there's equivalent in like football. Maybe for a kicker, I could yeah. I could hear it. You know, maybe for a kicker, that's about it. But anyway, and golf, you know, golf, yeah, there's tremendous pressure, but yeah. they get quiet before they, you shoot. I, dude, that bothers me so much when I play golf and somebody it, makes a noise in somebody's backswing yeah. and they're pissed. You broke my focus. Right. Like, they how get are you going to complain about that, man? I used to warm up. I had people yelling yeah. about my mom every warm up <laughs> throw. You know, it's like, it's just such a different, uh, that, that one bothers me in golf. But in golf, too, you know, you have a buddy that, He's great at golf. You know, he shoots 72. And then you get in front of the tee box that's in front of the restaurant. First shank of the day because people are watching. You know, the the pressure of people watching just changes you. Yeah. And we talked about this, too. um, How little did those guys know last year? They Because we were asking them about they kind of get cheated like an Ian Anderson comes in where he gets cheated and he doesn't make it get to make his debut in front of a big crowd and his family. And the, no, they're going to look back on it. They had the unique advantage that other people have never had. And they had this transition to the big leagues where they never went through the terror. You're talking about coming up from AAA and playing in front of 34,000 people. It was perfect for them. Yeah. They go from playing in empty spring training stadiums a year ago in the pandemic to playing in empty stadiums. The only pressure is that you're in a big league ballpark. There's three yeah. decks, but they're empty. There's no yeah. noise except pumped in crowd noise, which you know is fake. Yeah. So you get to play a whole season in that. And then you're pitching in the playoffs and not until the last round do they even have limited, uh, limited attendance. So it was like you got a transition. Then you go to, to this year spring training with limited attendance. So it's like they got eased into this thing. And then you have limited attendance at the start of this year in like almost every ballpark. And you even got transitioned there. So 
man, those guys got it. They're going to look back on that and go, I never I had lucky. that experience. You're talking about it going from trip pitching a triple A in front of 2000 people to pitching in front of 40. I lost five miles an hour in my major league debut. Cause I clammed up so much. I was throwing 93, I, 90, I was throwing 93, 94 and double a pitched a few games in triple a came up to the big leagues and I was so freaking nervous. I mean, it was like, I'd never thrown a ball before in my life. I believe it. It's, I mean, it's, it's just different. Yeah. It's gotta be what it's like to going from like uh you know, community theater to going to Broadway, you know, and you're playing in those theaters that like stacked like five decks and you're looking out at the crowd. And I mean, that's, who could do that? Memorize lines and all that. You know, it's the same thing. Some people can do it, but most people can't. I mean, yep. that's why those people that can get paid a whole hell of a lot of money. Yep. It's, you, know? <laughs> you know, it's like talking to talking to girls too when you're in your early twenties. You got your buddy. He's he's the funniest some guy you know. Some people can do it. Some people can't. Yeah. He's the funniest guy you know. You know, he's making the whole crowd laugh. And then a, a beautiful chick walks up to him and and he just can't speak all of a sudden. You know, I mean, it's it's performance anxiety at every level. Anywhere in life it can happen. But it's it's definitely, you know, the hardest test is for me is always pitching on that big stage and something to be proud of the guys that can handle it. So I was just really thrilled last year to get a new experience because you don't get many new experiences when you've been doing this a long time. And last night, I was so glad we were on the field to yeah. do the post-game interviews. One, we avoided the champagne spray because I hate that shit, man. Yeah. I hate getting wet and trying to go back up and right with, with that nasty smell Sticky. on you. Yeah. Yeah. And then I was on my motorcycle. I didn't want to ride home with a wet shirt or whatever. So the guys were cool and they did all the squirt and the champagne and the beer in there. And they came out came and they out. just had their cigars and everything. And then of course the relief pitchers go out and go in the fountain. Cause relief pitchers are relief pitchers. Oh, I saw that, that, that's that floor and that fountain looked a little slick. I saw a couple of them <laughs> fall down. And I was like, we don't need one of those right now. AJ had the cowboy hat on with the goggles. They had all had the, they all had the good cigars. And the cigars smelled great, by the way, they weren't smoking have a Tampa's, you know, yeah. they were smoking the good shit. Yeah. So, but uh, it was a great experience to be down there and so appreciate what they do when you hear that crowd because that crowd and and kudos to the to the Braves crowd because it was awesome last night. It was such a home field advantage. They're doing the tomahawk chop and pitching changes when the Phillies come out with the lights down and the lighters they're doing. It, and it was just during the playoffs, it's going to be something, yeah. man, because that was a Thursday night with school in session. People that don't live in Atlanta don't know. The crowds in Atlanta are usually not good when, during the week. When during the week, when school starts, and that yeah. was packed. It was pretty close to packed last night, thirty nine thousand. So, um, Braves have a six game winning streak, and the thing that stands out about this streak is the outfield newcomers have had huge contributions in every game during this streak. Yep. Friday at San Diego, the four zero win, Freed's three hit complete game. Duvall had an RBI. Rosario had a hit, a run, and a stolen base. Saturday's 10-8 win against the Padres. Soler had the game-changing three-run homer in sixth inning. Game-winning RBI in a 10th inning double. Peterson had a pinch-hit RBI double that started the scoring in the four-run sixth inning in that game that erased the 7-3 deficit after Machado's grand slam. The Sunday, the 4-3 win at San Diego. Peterson's second-inning home run started the scoring. Orlando Arcia, another one of the newcomers, he, although they got him early in the year, obviously, but he had a pinch hit double for the game winning RBI. Tuesday's 2 1 win against the Phillies. Soler drove in both Braves runs with a third inning single. Wednesday's 7 2 win in the free, another free gym. Soler had two hits, two runs, and two walks from the leadoff spot. And then last night, the clinching win. Soler leads off the first yeah. inning with a monster 465 foot homer. I mean, every Just game, those guys have been huge. Yep. So. You lost Acuna. You lost the best player in the National League. But the Braves would not have gone out and got all these guys if you had not lost Acuna. So they would have gone out and got one. Maybe they get Duvall at the trade deadline to play left field because they had lost Azuna earlier. Or maybe they just get Peterson coming out of the break to play one of the outfield spots and they shuffle it around, you know. But they would not have gotten four guys. They wouldn't have gotten more than one probably. So, and if the crowds don't come out and fill the place early on when the Braves are leading the league in attendance – McGurk doesn't go to to uh, Al, to uh, to uh, Alex Anthopoulos and say we've got more money. Go out and make make the moves you want to make. Alex said it last night. He came to him and said the change, things have changed since the start of the year. We got some money now. Go out and do what you need to do. So Alex goes out and makes those moves and adds a co considerable amount to the payroll. Yeah. So a lot of things went their way, but those newcomers have made a huge difference. And I dare say they are not where they are without those guys. No oh, way. No shot. 
No yes, way. Sir. Even as great as – and you've had to have – when you lose guys early to injuries like Darno and Ozuna, you know, gets arrested after he gets hurt, you got to have some guys step up and have career years. Austin Riley, that's why he's an MVP candidate. He's had a career year that he's taken right through to the end. Had another huge hit home run last night. Gives him 33. You know, I think about that with the MVP too. You know, looking at the series, that I, he, Austin's hit all year. Him, you know, he had Harper a little shrunk, and Riley stood and stepped forward. I think you know, I think that's got to matter if you have a vote. You got to look at that series was you know, or you can go head to head all year, but the Braves handled Harper. I think he was zero for eleven with five Ks. Yeah, and that's baseball. You know, I'm not. It, it doesn't mean he clammed up, but right. I mean, if you're going to win MVP and you, and you play in those series, you know, I need you to, right. if you want to be convincing with it, you need to do some damage and, and that's their guy. I mean, you, he has to impact that series and he didn't. Yeah. Chipper won the MVP in 99 based basically on what he did against the Mets when it was, a, when they were going head toe to toe, just like this with the Phillies, every series against the Mets, he had the big home runs, home run after home run in the big moments. That's when he won the, the MVP after not even making the all-star team that year. I mean, guys that do it. And Harper's had a great second half. Yeah, yeah. But this was it. This was it. They had to come in and win at least two out of three. And he did nothing to help them win. I mean, yeah, they were focused on getting him out. But like you said, I mean, Riley stepped up, had some huge hits. Well, and how much does the whole series change if Harper knocks him four runs game one? Oh, and absolutely. You, you know, I mean, that's that's just the way I look at it is – if the impact he could have on the series, if he wants to win MVP or, or people want to say he's the MVP, you know, I know it's great when you look at the war and all this stuff that, that, you know, and analyzes a guy's value and says, actually he was, you know, two wins better than this guy or that guy. Yeah. But when I look at that series, if he has a great game one and does something and, and gets the Braves, you know, clinching up and, and it's all that pressure we're talking about, puts the pressure back on the Braves and now you got a one game lead or, or one and a half, whatever it would have been. Yeah. I mean, it, it can it can put pressure on the pitching staff, the bullpen, the the other teams lineup. But doing nothing game one, they win that one. It's like every every win after that's just more breathing room and takes pressure off the team. Guys, let's take a quick break and then we'll finish up the show. Soler last night, man. He uh, that was a bomb. This dude, he's got. 54 games with the Braves. He's hit 268 with 13 homers and an 868 OPS. This is after 94 games with the Royals. He hit 192 with uh, 12 homers and a 658 OPS. Now, he had gotten hot in the week before, but credit to the Braves, to Alex, and to the scouts, the guys they had looking because they saw a swing coming around. And they made a move for this guy because at the time we we're all like, why are you getting Solaire? Yeah, he had 46 homers a couple years ago, but this guy had done shit since then. They got this guy and he's been huge. So good that this is a guy I think they should try to re-sign for next year, man. This guy could be a big part next year. And if they have the DH, he'd be a perfect DH. Oh, yeah. And just the bats he has. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. what I keep going back the to. walks. But- I mean, if you told me you'd have Soler le- hitting leadoff in September, batting, what's he bad? Two, two twenty-two. You'd think something went, you know, incredibly. Two sixty-eight with the Braves, though, and two sixty-eight like with the Braves, a, like a three fifty-something OB, uh, OBP. Yeah, no, I mean, it just you wouldn't, you would know right. some. They dealt with some shit this year to be in a position to be batting him leadoff, but it's worked really well, and I, and I think it's just it's back to that bats he has, you know. That's a scary dude to face leading off the game. And then yesterday, hitting that bomb to lead off the game just sends a message like, you guys can go ahead and pack your bags. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And and not to mention what it did for Ian Anderson, you know? Yep. But, uh, yeah, and I, and and again, Snit, having the balls to put Soler at leadoff and not have people mock it and go, what? What are you doing? He doesn't you know? care. He doesn't well, get affected by any outside And balls. when everybody was howling because Jock Peterson is a fa- fan favorite for obvious reasons – Great guy, colorful personality, all that, the pearl necklace, the blonde hair, and a great dude. I like him a lot. He's done tremendous stuff for the clubhouse, too, more than people even know. But everybody's howling. Jock Peterson needs to play more because every time Snit put him in there in a good matchup, he does something. But Snit keeps playing Rosario because the guy's hot and the guy's playing great. And he doesn't cave to that pressure and play the guy that everybody's howling to have in there. He keeps going with what he knows, what his coaches are telling, what his analytics people are telling, what this is what we need to do. And it's worked. I mean, he's put guys in good situations. And when he's played Peterson, it's been a good matchup for him. 
and the guys had good games. Yeah. So they've really utilized the personnel, I think, really well. I mean, you know, from going and starting the year with Acuna in the leadoff spot, again, when he was hitting 24 bombs early on, he was MVP candidate. People are howling for him. Okay, it's time to move Acuna out of the leadoff spot. So it's like, nope, did that last year. Don't care what he's doing. Don't care if he's got twice as many home runs as anybody else on the team. We're keeping him a leadoff because it works. It works. Never mind what the analytics say. It works for this team. So he combines that going with your gut and going with analytics when it's appropriate. Yep. Positioning guys and, you know, just uh, I just like the mix they do of that, old school and new school. You know, they're not dinosaurs. The game hasn't passed them by, but they still allow for some moves and all that based on what they're watching and based on what the gut is against, uh, you know. That's the boat I'm in. That's the boat I'm in when I look at baseball. I mean, there's you can't deny there's value in in analytics. You can't deny it. But you also can't deny there's value in the conversation we had about guys that can keep it together under pressure. You know, and it doesn't it, show up in analytics. It doesn't show up. There's no way to measure a lot of things. There's no way to measure what effect a catcher has on a pitching staff. There's, you know, so it's they're lucky because if you can find coaches like that that know all those values you can't measure and they don't get mad or threatened by analytics, they embrace it and find a way to use that too. Open minded coaches, it's just the perfect blend. Yeah. And they've got that with, with Wash, with EY. You know, they're using all the analytics to position guys. I mean, Dansby, he's always up the middle when, when somebody hits a liner up there. I mean, they do a good job with that stuff. They, but, but at the same time, those are old school guys, just like yeah. Seitz is an old school guy, but he braces all the analytics. So, um, I got, I got to say, man, I wrote, uh, about two weeks ago, a week and a half ago that I thought Snitch should change closers. I thought he'd gone far enough. I thought he was. I thought there was danger of all the good that Snitch's done with this team going down the tubes because he stuck too long with Will Smith. But I tell you what, man, Will Smith showed me something in San Diego with that getting out of that that jam. He showed me some huge balls, and he did it again last night because if this guy doesn't have, I mean, stones down there, he comes <laughs> yeah. into that situation last night knowing everybody's waiting for him to fail. Knowing the Phillies, you know, this crowd's going crazy. It's a close game. And, you know, everybody's like, oh, yeah, best two-run closer. Well, he came in last night, didn't give up a run, didn't give up anything. Yeah. Gets strikes out, gets a strikeout, what pop-up pop I think up, it was. Punchy. And then a strikeout to end it in the biggest game of the year for the Braves. And Snit says that's why he's the closer. And we kind of roll our eyes and go, come on, Snit, you can't just ignore all the bad games he's had too. But when it comes right down to it, when he has to do it, the guy has got some guts, man. So yeah. uh, we'll see. We'll see if he can do it in the playoff games. But he showed last night. I mean, under that, that's as close as you're going to get to a game seven right there, you know, in a playoff game. It was loud, and the game was on the line. And just like in, in San Diego, it was loud there. Oh, yeah. You well, know, that was their season. Their season was yeah. on the line. Yeah. And, and, and they had three guys on base with one out, and all they needed was to put the ball in play, basically, and he didn't let them. So. Good for Will Smith, man. You know, he's shut up a lot of people with, with uh, you know, he, he's got, he's got, he's got 36, 37 saves, got like six blown saves. Same number of blown saves as Melanson. I know Melanson's got a lot lower ERA, but he's, it's not like Melanson has a lot of clean innings either, you know? No. Will, it- it's like Dansby said last night. He told Will, you're our guy, man. You've been our guy since day one, and that's not going to change. Don't worry about what everybody's saying. They complain about everything. You're our guy. And he said, and Dansby said, hey, there might be some drama sometimes, but the job usually gets done, and that's what it's all about. And that's that's just, I mean, I keep going back to it, but it's so freaking important to have teammates and, and that, have that vibe and that chemistry and guys that believe in you. Because if, if he comes in and blows that first one in San Diego and his teammates don't sit at him with the table after, dim, you know, after the game, they don't eat with him. Yeah. It just, it's, uh, you know, you need, you need people on your side. You need help to get through a season and you have your doubts. And when a teammate comes up and tells you, you got this, you're getting them tomorrow, your manager throws you back out there. You know, you, you, it's just such an assist to have confidence like that. But I mean, it, I think about it too. Like if he blows that game in San Diego, if he yeah. doesn't get out of it, what, you know, what do you, what do you do? What happens? Right. And, and, and what's the difference in this series with Philly? You know, it all, it all has kind of a butterfly effect, but you know, Snit's sticking with him and he's getting rewarded for it. Yeah. Um, they, uh, 
Monday, the Braves, uh, the day Charlie goes out and pitches another gym that uh, Charlie just continues. He'll be 38 in November, and he's just been remarkable. And he had his he had his 19th career double-digit strikeout game, second this season, uh, 101 pitch outing against the Phillies where, I mean, he's, he's just, just overwhelming. stretch, man. <laughs> yeah. His curveball. He had a 4-5-0 ERA in his first 13 starts this year. His last 19 starts, he's had a 2-7-7 ERA, 138 strikeouts, 38 walks in 117 innings. I, when you watch him pitch, though, it's like he knows how to pitch, obviously, but he's he's still at a point, even you know in his late 30s, he's overwhelming hitters. He's overpowering yeah. them. I mean, he he makes mistakes. He throws a curveball. I saw a curveball down to uh, right down the middle to Odubel Herrera, and it was foul ball in the dirt because it's so tight and sharp, and he's shaking his head not knowing how he missed it. And he's doing yeah. that to hitter after hitter after hitter, and then he throws it where he wants to, and it's a swing and miss. What he did to Harper, it's like just yeah. that's a that's a dude that we're talking about MVP, and he made him look like a rookie. You know, like he'd yeah. never seen pitches like that, and that's that's just how good Charlie's stuff is, and it's it's a crazy he has that at his age. So on the same day that near soon to be thirty eight year old Charlie Morton was doing that, the Braves awarded uh, gave out their minor league organizational player of the year awards. Bryce Elder, who was the fifth round pick out of Texas, the pitcher, uh, in 20, what, two years ago, 2020. Bryce Elder is pitcher of the year, the Phil Negro pitcher of the year. And Shea, who we've talked about quite a bit, who is going to be a hell of a catcher, man. He, uh, he got the Hank Aaron, uh, position player of the year award, Shea Langoliers. He is coming coming fast. Both of those guys are coming fast. And I think you're going to see Bryce Elder and Strider, the dude that got, has been promoted four times in one year, who's finishing yep. his year at AAA. I think you're going to see both of those guys compete for spots in the rotation next year, if not out of spring. I mean, some could happen. One of them could get a spot out of spring even. But I think both of them during the, during the course of the season are going to be up because they've moved up that quickly. They've just dominated the lower levels. And Strider gets promoted to Triple A after starting the year in Low A. Yeah, it, yeah, Low A. He was at Augusta. He's in Triple A now, and he goes out and they use him. He started all year, obviously. They go out and use him in a relief inning, which kind of raises some eyebrows. Like, would the Braves consider Adam to the pen for the for the for the playoffs? But he goes out in one inning relief work with Gwinnett, strikes out three, hits a hundred and one. Yeah. <laughs> This at the end of his first pro season, first full season, because, you know, they didn't have a season last year. It starters, starters sometimes gain a couple, you know, moving out into the pen. Yeah. Starters know how to pitch, too. Pitch more than he's ever pitched in his life, you know. Yeah. Uh, Langoliers, he hits he hits double A all year, and he got promoted for the last five games of the triple A season as well. But he had. He had he had 258 at AA Mississippi, but more importantly, had 22 homers and an 836 OPS. Second season of pro ball, first full season, and that's a league, that Southern League, that is not hitter friendly. You don't no. hit for power in that league, and especially Mississippi's ballpark. It's been judged like the most pitcher friendly ballpark in the minors, so close to it. So he hit a lot more homers on the road. So he had a really impressive season. They had like three two homer games, and defensively, he could be. You're one of the premier catchers in baseball right now in the majors. He's that good. I mean, Sal talks about his, he's got a cannon for an arm. And Sal said he's not surprised because with the power hitting, because he said, if you look, most of the power, most of the guys with the great arms, the catchers, yeah. they can also hit for power. He goes, you yep. can't separate the two. If they've got that kind of strength, they can also hit for power. And that's the key. I've never really that's, thought about that. That's a great true. point. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just rotational ability, right? Yeah. So if they're great rotating and, and firing a ball, they're going to be throwing the bat really well. And it's also, if you ever look at the burner, the burner outfielders, uh huh, right, with with just pea shooter arms, Yeah. <laughs> they're never power yeah. guys. You know, you, you rarely see right. a power hitter right. that doesn't bring a good arm to the table too. I mean, it, it's different with the bat, but a lot of times, you know, those guys that are just pure burners out there, you see them throw your woof. And you look at it, they hit four or five homers a year. It, it kind of, it, you know, it translates that that rotational ability. Uh, Elder, these guys are 22, I think both of them. Elder, for the full year in high A Rome, he was promoted from Rome to double A Mississippi, and, and he's been at Gwinnett. And I think the most impressive thing about him is he's gotten better because you don't see that very often. He's gotten better as he's gone up. 
for the year, 11 and 5, 276 ERA and 24 starts, 151 strikeouts, 52 walks, and 133 innings. The walks is the only thing he's got to work on, but he's gotten better as he's gone up. And at AAA, he has really impressive numbers. AAA, 220 ERA and six starts in AAA. 36 strikeouts, 15 walks, only one homer allowed in 32 innings. So there's a lot to work with there. Big dude, big Texas guy, big shouldered guy. Uh, he's going to be, he's going to come quickly. And then Strider, like I said, he's been a man among boys. This guy's got dynamic stuff from Clemson. If you look at a video of that guy, I think just, I have watched. He he's athletic. Yeah, real athletic. Big, big lower half. Yeah, strong. Gets a lot of think of his velocity from that. Not a big guy. Not tall at all. But, you know, you don't want to compare anybody to Billy Wags, but kind of that, you know, that uh, generates the heat from there. Yeah. So, yeah, I think he – and I think he's got some nastiness to him too, the attitude-wise. I and mean, he likes to go after guys. Yeah. We'll see. I think that's yeah. a hell of a pick. Promoted four times in one year. I want to see what they do under the bright lights, you know. I yeah. mean, that's, that's always what I want to see. Strider, four starts in low A. 059 ERA, 32 strikeouts, five walks, and 15 innings. Okay, man among boys. They they bump him up to high A Rome, 245 ERA, 24 strikeouts, six walks, 14 and 30. Okay, bump him up to double A Mississippi, 14 starts. Okay, had some struggles there. 486 ERA, 94 strikeouts, though, and 29 walks and 63 innings. And I think most importantly, last seven starts at Mississippi, 309 yeah. ERA, 192 opponents average. 52 strikeouts with 12 walks and 35 innings. So, I mean, well, that tells you too that, you know, that tells you too that they have, they want him up quick. Yeah. When, when you can easily let the dude sit in double A right. when he has seven good starts and they're like, all right, he's on to the yeah. next level. You know, he's figured out this level. Let's get him up to triple A. Yeah, let they, water find its level. They know he's really damn good. And, and he came up to double A and struggled a little bit. But once he conquered that league, you know, they want him in the big leagues if they're moving him that fast. Yeah, yeah. He's uh and then like I said, he gets Gannett his one oh one and strikes out three in one inning. So twenty-one combined starts, uh three seven seven ERA, hundred and fifty strikeouts and forty walks in ninety-three innings. That's solid. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So look for Strider and Elder at uh at spring training next year as the big guy. Uh and there's a couple other ones too. That we talked about, but uh, and then Langoliers, it'll be his. Think I think his third major league camp. He was right there after, but at least second that he's been there the whole time. So Langoliers is going to compete next year, man. Yeah, he could be. He could be the guy. And they and I think it was perfect they signed Darno for the two years because Langoliers is going to be ready to take over when he's gone. And you got yeah. Contreras obviously, but you could use Contreras next year if you want Langoliers to keep playing every day. You could use Contreras as your backup if you don't trade him this winter. So. Yeah, Good you know, there's some have. injuries. You get his feet wet a few times. If he takes yep. off, you just leave him. You just stay. You know, if he struggles. Yeah, you, and you saw how fast that can change. This year when Darno like gets that. hurt in yep. May, May 1st, one of those yep. guys will be ready to take over next year after yep. spending, you know, a whole year in high minors. So, but most importantly, the big league team right now and the Braves have, uh, you know, they're going to finish this out against the Mets this weekend. But I think everybody can feel good about what this team's done. I mean, it's what a hell of a year. I, I this it seems like it seems like two years ago that that Darno got hurt, misses three months. It seems like so long ago Soroka's coming back and pitching an inning in a spring training game, and we're talking about him, you know, maybe being back by middle of April. Uh just so much happened in this year. Not to mention Acuna gets hurt, you know, he's an MVP front runner. He gets hurt the game before the spring before uh the all-star break. That feels like and, last year, too. <laughs> and Austin Riley's doing nothing in the first two or three weeks of the season, and we're going, Snit, how long can this guy, can you stick with this guy at third base, you know, before he has to do something? You know, and Maybe Freddie's MVP, struggling. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's just such a long season, but these guys ultimately have all come together, and but kudos gets, to team chemistry, man, because this is case number one on team chemistry this year. Because if yeah. they didn't have a great clubhouse, those newcomers yes. could not have come in and done what they've done and hit the ground running. And they've all said that, too. Every single guy has said, you know, it's just it's such a great vibe over here. Such a great clubhouse. I love these guys. I want to come back. I want to be yeah. here. I was thinking about Duvall last night when I was watching him celebrate. You know, his heart probably never left this group. 
you know, he he started the year yeah. on a different team and he's watching it. But when he got traded back, yeah, when he was celebrating, he probably felt like he was on this team the whole season. You know, it was like the, the Mar- Marlins was just a spring training type of thing for yeah. him. But when he was celebrating out there, I bet you he felt like he never left. I was just thinking, you know, that's that's got to be a good feeling because I think, you know, as you, if you're a new guy and you get traded over early August, you know, it, it takes time to 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 get connected and, and feel a part of a group. But I bet right. the day he showed up, it was just like he never left. And what helped so much. And it's kind of a self-perpetuating thing because they were responsible for it largely. But what helped so much was this was a team that was under 500 the whole time, talking about going on a run, four months. And then those guys come over. And like within days, they started that. They had a soft part of the schedule, but they took advantage of it. They go 16 and two and took control of the race. And those guys played huge parts in that stretch. Well, so you you remember us, it felt like 17 podcasts in a row. We're exactly the same. Us saying, oh, yep. they'll get it going. You know, it's a good yep. team. I still believe it. It got so redundant saying that shit, but I really believed it. You know, I wasn't saying Johnson it just to be really nice. believed it too. Remember when he was on here? I know. And it, it just, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy how long the season is. Yeah. That's why you're so happy for those guys when they're celebrating out there. Because they've been in that mode since February. Yeah. And they finally get to let their guard down for a night and just soak it in. And I think that's why baseball celebrations are maybe a little bit. Excessive. They might come across as over the top to people watching on TV because they're going nuts. But man, they have been going at it, like you said, for seven months, since seven and a half months since they got to spring training. 162 and, and not, games. And not till now can you really celebrate anything. And then, you know, then you get yourself together and you start plugging away again today. But for yeah. one night, there's no reason not to just say, We've, we did it, dude. Yeah. Especially Soak when you endure in. what this team did. You're not yeah. like leading from day one like the Giants, you know. Yeah, in football and NBA, the whole league makes the playoffs. Yeah. So it's not that big a deal to get yeah. in. You know, more more teams get in in baseball, too, and some teams don't feel great about that wild card because it's such a crapshoot. But Right. I mean, it's, it's it feels like a thousand-game season. You know, there's right. so many ups and downs throughout a baseball season that, you know, like football, you get to reset Monday through Sunday. Right, and you play 16 games. Yeah. You know? Or college, you play 12 or 13 games. Which you know, 162 games in a in baseball. Five thousand. It's five thousand games plus spring training. Yeah. And then the playoffs start. Yeah. Yeah. And there's seven game series in the playoffs. You know, I mean, every I, night there's drama. Every night there's guys yeah. that pissed off or hurt or you know worried about their careers. Every night. Yep. And you need people to look to you know that that have been through that grind and know how to handle it and know how to yeah. stay calm and positive. You know those rocks. I think about that with uh, Ron Washington. Because he, you, you, I've been around coaches that had the credentials, you know, they, they have the time in the game, but they, they're hit or miss. You know, some of them, you, you can be around a guy that played 15 years, 300 hit yeah. or something. Some days he comes to the park and he just doesn't have it. Yeah. You know, he's, he's tired that day. He's hung over. He got in a fight with his wife or he couldn't sleep last night. And it, and it shows on their face. You know, they, they don't, they're not, Wash walks into the park and it's yeah. a vibe every time you see him. He's the same he's exactly guy. Exactly the same every exactly day. Exactly the same. And it's so important because he just walks by you laughing, talking shit, working his ass off and wants to win every single day. And it's, it's not easy to bring that. And that's why it's so important. And he's in his late 60s and there's not one day where he goes, you know what? My shoulder, my wrist is hurting. Today. I can't hit those fungos to you. I can't hit those short hops to you. Nope. Every day. Every day. He'll be out there today when the guys yep. are hung over, and he'll expect Ozzy and Freddie and Riley and Dansby to come yep. out there and do their drills today. Yep. No if days you, off. The If you want a good example of what kind of coach he is, look at Marcus Simeon. Okay, he yeah. came up He came up to the A's when I was there, and they basically hired Wash specifically to work with him. Yep. Every day, 2 o'clock, we just hear Wash walking through the clubhouse yelling, Marcus, looking for him, ready yep. to work. And Marcus was like, shit, again. You know, it was day in, day out. It was like he just followed him around the clubhouse. And he was he was well below average as a shortstop his first few years. They were talking about moving in positions. He always had the bat. Yeah. And now now he's a good defensive shortstop. And he's, you know, that 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 would be such a distraction to be making those errors. And he hit 40-some homers this year. You know, I mean, I just I always look at that. And that's just for me. I got to have that, you know, front row seat to watch and wash work and change a guy's career. And Eric Chavez gave Wash one of his gold gloves. Yeah, for for turning him into a gold glover. Yeah, they can't and let there's him. Quite a few. There's quite a few guys like that. You keep Wash as long as you can. I bet if Ozzy Albies wins a gold glove, he'll give it to Wash. Wash probably has a few of those in his in his uh, 
yeah. trophy room or whatever. I mean, the relationship, they could do a 30 for 30 on the relationship between Ozzy and Wash. It is priceless, man. Those guys. Oh, I would watch a Wash 30 for 30 in a heartbeat. That'd be, oh, my God. That guy. Yeah, fun. just follow him around for a couple of days. You ever see those highlights when he was when he was managing the Rangers and and hard <laughs> on the sleeve? Yeah, what what the a players guy. loved it because they what knew he guy. was so invested in it. You hear that laugh, man? Your day is just gonna be better, and he brings that every single day. It's just not easy to do. Yeah. All right, we'll do it again on uh, what's today? Friday. We'll do it again uh, Monday, Monday or Tuesday. Tuesday. Uh, we'll talk about the. I don't know what we're gonna talk about. How they finish Brewer series? Preview it a little bit. They play Wednesday? No, they don't play till Friday. We got the wild card Shoot, games Tuesday right. and Wednesday. Yeah. So let's push it back till like at least Tuesday. Yeah. Cool. All right. All right. See you next week. Thanks, everybody. 755 is real. We are out.